Welcome to the Road to Life Church podcast. Here with our pastor, Micah Shepline, you will be inspired through the Word of God. For more information, please visit roadtolifechurch.com. So with that, we've been in a series called Under the Microscope, which Pennington's, thank you. You're going to get a lot of shout outs on this thing. First off, my parents never gave me a microscope growing up, so your parents are cool. Um, But (laughs) this is a microscope from the Pennington uh, boys. And what we've been talking about is Christian words that have meaning that we think we know really everything about that sometimes maybe we don't know about. So a case in point is like, I'm a big Notre Dame football and Green Bay Packers fan, I don't want to hear what other teams you like because those are the only teams out, (laughs) right? So here's the deal. When I talk about Notre Dame football, I know a lot. Why? Because Bleacher Report and ESPN consistently and the algorithms of the internet consistently give me every article out you could possibly read, and I read them all. And so I would like to think I know a lot about those topics. Now, here's the deal. If you put the head coach of Notre Dame right here and the head coach of the Packers right here, chances are they would know a lot more about their teams than I would. But in my mind, I think I know until I meet somebody who knows a little bit more than me in a way that maybe I didn't think I would run across. Right? I think I know a lot about golf equipment. It doesn't necessarily help me, but I know a lot about it. God, give me an anointing this year. Bring it in, Lord. Uh, I want to be Jack every week. Anyway, but, but really, here's the deal. I think I have anointing, or not, I think I have anointing. I want an anointing. God, don't knock down my pride. It's already low. <laughs> but I, I have an idea of knowing things, but if you brought me up to an, a golf equipment manufacturer, they would look at me and be like, you don't know nothing. And I think this is what we need to talk about today is if our belief systems aren't consistently constructed around everything about Scripture and what it says about the matter, then we're actually missing the point of what it is and what it means to us. So what we've been talking about is under the microscope, and we've taken a word every single week that is a little bit different, but at the same time brought it around in a context that makes sense for our life from the origins of Scripture. So this week, that word is waiting. Now, we've actually misspelled the word on purpose because we're actually talking about patience. But here's the thing, and we're not, I'm not going to get super philosophical on you right now, but I am for about 20 seconds. So the Bible, the Old Testament, most of it's written in Hebrew. New Testament, most of it's written in Greek. Jesus actually is ministry. He spoke in Aramaic, and we're talking in English. So by my count, we have four languages, Right? Now, what we're doing right now is we're taking four languages and we're putting them together and we're doing our best to kind of summarize what's going on. But my favorite language, in my personal opinion, to actually dissect is the Greek language because a lot of the times it's not just a definition. They actually give a word picture, which, once again, I was one of those kids where, you know, I did a lot better with practical living and and teaching and pictures (laughs) You're like, wait, so you only read picture books? Don't judge me. <laughs> you, can be, you can be 29 and still read picture books, and they're still fire. <laughs> yeah, y- y'all are judging. You better stop. But, but here's the thing, right? The, the Greek actually gives pictures a lot of the times. And so here's the interesting thing. So when I say the word patience, we automatically, Western culture, you know what we think about? Patience, we think about waiting. But not just waiting, really waiting on the things that we want and they're taking too long. You know what I mean? 
Great example, right? Drive-through lines, everybody knows for the past few months or year, God, get COVID over soon. Anyway, right, we know that the drive-through line's been long, except for some reason, I don't know how miraculously they do it, but Chick-fil-A, their line could be 800 cars and you're still done in 15 minutes. It's like, thank you, God. It's probably an anointing, who cares? But, but here's the deal. We, we know that when we have to wait, there's a level of just inside, just we don't want to wait. Everything within us does not want to wait. Now, I need to preface this sermon by saying I am probably one of the least patient people you will meet. Why? I am just wanting to get it done, get it over with, and get through it. I'm the guy that's in traffic assessing how fast the cars and the lanes are and bobbing and weaving between the cars, not cutting people off. Maybe cutting people off, but assessing the traffic and being patient, and, but not being patient at all and saying I'm patient. But long story short, what am I saying? I'm saying that a lot of our Western viewpoints and, and American culture of waiting and patience is completely different than the Bible. And you're going to understand that quickly when I break down what patience actually means in Scripture. And it's a Greek word named hupameo. And it's a conjunction of two words. The first one is hupa, and the last one is male. And it actually means a grit. The, the hupa word means a heavy load, and mayo means to sit in one spot. So when you conjoin the two, it actually, when you read the word patience, it means to sit in one spot without wavering under a heavy, heavy load. Now, if you were to ask me, you know, What's, what's the patience that you're displaying when you're getting impatient waiting for your food order? Or you walk in and there's, say, the wait's 20 minutes and you want to leave and go to another restaurant like I did literally last week with my wife and grandmother, right? I wouldn't classify that as me needing to sit in place, not move under a heavy load. I just wouldn't. And when we actually start to think about this, if I ask you guys the question, right, when was the last time we had to sit in place with a heavy load on us and not move and consistently sit there, right? Many of us would realize that patience is actually applied in a much larger scale than we realize. We're not talking about drive-through patience. We're not talking about secretary of state patience. We're not talking about impatience with the kids today. We're talking about the kind of patience in our life it takes to follow God that will make or break our fulfillment, that will make or break our wholeness, that will make or break our personhood and who we're called to be. That's what we're identifying today is because patience in the little things, yeah, that's touch and go. But patience in the large things, we all know and can recognize seasons in our lives where God has forced us to be patient in the midst of uncertainty and in the midst of what we did not want to happen and we had to choose to trust or we need to choose to trust. And what you need to realize is biblical patience is not wasting time, it's building muscle. And some of us the only way we look at patience, the only way we look at following God when he's not doing it the way we want it to be done is we look at it as, God, you're wasting time. This is a waste of time. This is not what I wanted. This is not what was intended. This is, and all we're doing is looking at him as the load is on our back and we're standing in place in it. All we're doing is looking at him and saying, God, why is this happening? Instead of, God, you're strengthening me. God, I'm getting stronger. 
God, I'm going to be stronger in this. Because that's what the biblical form was. You know, another passage of scripture that I believe, and it's a foundational truth that's found in David's life. Be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know. Now, I'm not going to lie. I am not the type of guy that just loves to just be still, if you couldn't tell. Be still and know that I'm God. And a lot of the times there's an there's a undercurrent here of Jesus essentially saying to us, I will fight your battles for you. There's a passage in scripture that was really inspiring to me. It's in 2 Chronicles. And in it, David has snuck up on his enemies. And as he snuck up behind his enemies to flank them, it actually says that he's waiting in mulberry trees, overlooking his enemies that he could just run down and defeat. And he looks at his men and he says this, we're not going forward until I hear the sound of angelic armies charging and roaring ahead of us in the tops of the trees. How many of you guys know, if you're in a battle and it's genuinely life or death, and you're looking and saying, oh, I'm not going forward, and your commander looks at you and says, we're not going forward until I hear trees talk. I'd be, I'd be looking at everybody and be like, we are not following a general that's on LSD. We're not doing, like, are you, we're going to sit here. We have the whole enemy right here. We're in the forest. They don't know we're going. We can kill them all right now. And you're waiting for trees to talk. But that's the type of depth and level of commitment that David had within his life is that he could essentially look at his men and be certain that he was called to listen to the sounds of the tops of the trees for an army charging forward that would do the work for them. And actually, that's what happened is that really without even his army doing anything, that sound was led forward that caused a confusion that ultimately handed him the battle almost before it even started. Pause. What if your be still in no moment was just allowing God to run in front and fight for you? Because some of us, we've been fighting all for ourselves and not getting anywhere, not recognizing he's trying to get you to sit under the weight to strengthen you and remind you that he's the fighter not you. Now, I'm not talking about a place of inaction here. I'm not talking about a place of passivity here. What I'm talking is, is in a culture oversaturated in productivity, where all we, we just always have to be, always have to be, always have to be, always have, and not knowing that we're running spiritually into a deficit that could absolutely crater who we're supposed to be. Now, a great story of this was a few years ago. I was, uh, I got picked up at the airport, Chicago O'Hare, my favorite airport, just kidding. All of us, anybody who flies out of O'Hare, you're just like, God, get me through the wilderness. <laughs> so I, I'm flying out of O'Hare and I actually flew back in and it was a Saturday and this was back when we had Saturday night services and my sister was picking me up. She picked me up and it's actually funny, uh, my, my dad and my mom, if they hear this, they'll know what I'm talking about. My siblings is growing up, with, my parents loved Boston Market and I still do, so don't judge me. It's a little bit went downhill, but the rotisserie chicken is, I hope it is right now. Some places it's good, other places you're like, man, this tastes like a paper towel. Oh, but, but here's the deal, I remember I was flying home and we pull into a Boston market, and I'm just like, God, I'm home. I'm done traveling, going to church tonight, and then we're stoked, and, you know, I'm going to get some food. And I remember I leave my wallet in the car. I go out to Licious Prius, and 
I wasn't driving it, don't worry. Oh, that's a good joke. You guys don't get it, but it's a good joke. I wasn't driving her Prius because I'm not going to say it. I go out to my car and I'm like, I go to get my wallet and the car's locked. We're in O'Hare. How far away is that on a Saturday afternoon? 17 hours. And I remember, I'm like, oh, dang, the car's locked. I run inside. Hey, Lush, where's your keys? She goes, I thought you had it. I said, why would I have your keys? I'm not driving your car. Oh, I think they're inside. Your car's locked. Oh. If you know Lish, too, she gets that real, like, look through you look, like. Oh. I love you. If you're watching, I do love you. Appreciate you. Carlos, you got a good one. So anyway, she looks at me, she's like, and I'm like, oh my gosh. So I walk outside immediately. I am going a mile a minute. I'm calling AAA, oh, two and a half hour wait. I'm Googling closest mechanic shops. I realize, oh, there's two car dealerships. I run to to the car dealership and I'm offering dudes in the service department. This is how you know I was a used car salesman. I'm like walking in, I'm like, hey. They're like, you need anything? I'm like, ah. Looking for mechanics, I'm like, yo, you want 50 bucks? <laughs> like, you unlock my car, I'll give you 50 bucks right now. They're like, we, what kind of car? A Prius. Oh, we ain't touching that thing, it's all electric. <laughs> so literally, I'm like going through, trying to figure it out. Finally, I go to two car dealerships, I'm running around, I'm triple A, two and a half hours. I'm just like, oh, I get back to the car, and this is the back of the car right here. And I'm looking at it, and I'm just like, this is awful. And I just sit there, and I am steaming and stewing, as most males do. Steaming and stewing. All the dudes are like, yeah, I do that. <laughs> Steaming and stewing. Steaming and stewing. And I remember I'm looking in the car, and if you know anything about the, the priests, they're a hatchback, and there's a blinking light. And I'm like looking at it like, what is that? And this is after about six, seven minutes of steaming and stewing, pausing and being still from a spiritual perspective. Blink. And then all of a sudden, I realize, I'm like, oh, it says a door's open. Start walking around the car, pushing all the doors in. <laughs> Nothing. So I get back to the back of the car, and I look at the hatchback, and I just give it two quick pushes. And it latches, and the car unlocks. And I walk in with my wallet, ordering food. She goes, did you get it unlocked? I said, yeah. The car door was open. I just ran three and a half miles. <laughs> I, was on, I was on hold with AAA for 46 hours. And uh, now we're good. But listen here. If I would have started from that place, instead of, okay, two car dealerships, okay, we're going to call AAA, okay, we're going to call every person I know in Chicago and tell them to come here and give me a car and get me home, we'll figure this out. I didn't get, I wouldn't have, that didn't work. What worked was, I'm stopping. I'm still. And then something opened my eyes. See, and for some of us, right, the last thing we want to do is stop and be still. But a lot of the times what the Lord's wanting you to do under the heavy waiting load is get you to be still so your eyes can see something different. And so what I want to talk about, though, today from a scriptural perspective is the, the law of the first and really essentially examining the first books and really the meanings and what went on behind them. Now, here's what's interesting to me is that the first book of the Old Testament is not Genesis that was categorically written 
or chronologically or whatever that word is, right? It's not Genesis. It's Job. Job is the very first book of the Old Testament from a timeline perspective written. What is Job about? A righteous and blameless man who loses everything following God and has to choose to consistently follow God and trust that he had his plan, that he had a plan for him. Now, pause. I need, to, I need you guys to understand the gravity. You know, Job, before his children die, it actually gives you an account of exactly how many animals he possessed. You know, just in livestock, Job had $25 million in today's terms, just in livestock. This isn't land. This isn't buildings. This isn't servants. He is, has $25 million in livestock. And one day, he's been walking his entire life blameless and righteous before the Lord. And one day, it's all gone. And by all gone, he loses his family in a windstorm. Raiders come down and take all of his herds. And not only that, his house falls in on itself and boils break out on his skin to the point it says that the only relief he could get was by breaking clay pots and scraping the boils with the shards. That sounds like a pretty rough life. So when I say the term waiting and patience, I would say he probably had it worse than all of us. But listen here. It actually says that this ordeal, when you research, scholars believe it was anywhere from two to three months to up to two years. He just waited. And there wasn't prophets, there wasn't church services, there wasn't even a Bible back then. When you mean waited, I mean the dude sat and waited. And it actually says that three of his friends came and tried to convince him to curse God. His wife tried to get him to convert, curse God. They tried to tell him all the things he did wrong. So literally every person around him is trying to get him to turn. All his situations, trying to get him to turn. He was blameless and righteous. He's done nothing wrong, trying to get him to turn. If that's not a weight that you have to sit under and get stronger in, I don't know what is. And then what happens is it actually says that his fortunes turn and that by the end of his life, he's doubled everything that he lost. Pause. If you were to interview Job at the end of his life, the first book of the Old Testament, and look at him and say, hey, Job, Was it worth it? The up to two year ordeal that you went through and lost everything, was it worth it? I guarantee 100% he would look you in the face and say it was because God returned it twofold what I lost. But if you were to ask him in the moment, I don't know what the response would be. See, for some of us, what we're looking is we're looking at the weight and we're looking at the pain And we're looking at the the immobility of standing in place. And we're wondering, what are you doing, God? Instead of recognizing that we're getting stronger. Instead of recognizing that God's fighting for you. Instead of recognizing it's not in your own strength. Instead of recognizing that it's not about what you can do. It's about what he wants to do through you. See, we measure productivity out here. God measures productivity in here. You want to know what the first book of the New Testament is? This is a little bit more subject to debate. And if you're somebody who's into that thing, we can talk about it later. But, you know, for me, I did a lot of research on this. And one of them that's widely assumed to be the very first book of the New Testament written is the Epistle of James. If you know anything about this book, it's written by Jesus' brother and actually is named James, the, or has a nickname, James the Just. 
and essentially it's a letter to the to pastors and it's a very good book i would venture to say for me personally it's one of my favorite books in all of the new testament and really all of the bible but i want you guys to realize right We've got the first book of the Old Testament talking about Job, and we have the first book of the New Testament, James. Let's read the very first chapter and the very first words that James writes in his book. It says this, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Now listen to this one. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Most Christians, when we read those two words at the end, why couldn't he just say trial singular? Why, why couldn't he just say trials with the S? Why did he have to add various and then an S on top of that? That's like three times more than just a normal trial. I mean, listen, this is what the, it, the first, the New Testament book, the starting place of the New Testament right here is where we're at. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Man, that sounds so joyful, James. Thank you so much for writing that. Oh, I love every line. Amen. Can I? Nobody's amen at me about this verse. Let's keep reading. It says this. Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. What is patience? Sitting under a heavy load and not moving. Man, Thank you, God, for testing my faith so I can sit under a heavy load and not move. <laughs> like, no offense. None of, we read scripture. We want, like, God, bless me. And God, do this. And, and then when we read about trials, God, I rebuke the devourer. God, I don't, I don't need patience. You're patient for me. Your patience is good enough. Fruit of the Spirit, I think I have it. Okay. Let's keep reading because it's just, for me, one of these things, right? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You want to connect lacking in nothing in your life to something spiritual and biblical? It's connected to patience. You know what patience is? sitting under the heavy weight and waiting and not wavering and not moving and trusting that you'll be stronger, trusting you'll be better, trusting that you don't see the other side, but he does, trusting that he's directing the steps that you don't even think you can take, but you know he has a plan. The very first book of the Old Testament, Patience and Trials. The very first book of the New Testament, patience and trials. Do you think it's important in the Bible yet? So what I want to do with my remaining time, actually before I do, even King David talked about it. Psalms 37, 34, wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. Psalms 31, 24, and this is just the term waiting, how often this is popping up. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Psalms 27, 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 25, 21, let integrity and uprightness preserve you for I wait for you. I, I can go all day long about these, but this is where it even gets interesting. You want to know, Revelation's even got a great passage. And 
I'm paraphrasing a letter that John writes to the church in Philadelphia, but listen to this one. I think this one is like the crowning moment of all of them. It says this, because you have kept my word about patient endurance. So it fits our criteria. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Listen to this. The one who conquers, I will make a pillar. The one who conquers with patient endurance, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. Man, patient endurance lacks in nothing. Patient endurance makes you a pillar. Some of us, we've been rebuking and wanting to get out of every season of waiting in our entire lives, not realizing it could be the greatest blessing for our spiritual development if we allow it to. See, you thought we were going to just talk about patience today? We're doing a lot more than that. So what I want to do is I want to talk briefly on how to make sure your waiting is fruitful. What do I mean by that? In the Bible, it actually says that we are, we are a tree firmly planted by streams of living water that yields fruit in all seasons. I love when I roll down the windows in these wine vineyards back here in the fall, and you can just smell them. We all know if you're around here, right? You ever tried to do that in January? No, because your face freezes off, right? You ever went, by an app went apple picking for Granny Smith in February? No, because that's, that would be weird, so when the Bible says, hey, you're producing fruit in all seasons, I want you to have that picture. When it's winter out, I'm still producing. When the circumstances say I can't, I'm still producing. When things aren't lining up, I'm still producing. When I don't believe I can be fruitful, I'm still producing. That's what God has called us to do, be fruitful. Multiply. How to make sure your waiting is fruitful. The first one, this one's a huge one. Stop calling an attack of the enemy and start looking at what God's wanting to do in me. See, some of us, all we want to do is rebuke every season of difficulty away instead of say, God, what is it that you're calling to do? What is it that you want to strengthen in me? What is something that you want to activate in my spirit? What is something you're calling me to do that might be difficult? What is it? Because what did we talk about earlier? Waiting is for strengthening. It's not for wasting time. When you're sitting under a heavy load, there's a reason that builds muscle. <laughs> When you've got a heavy, heavy load on you, that's what builds you. And so for some of us, we've looked at the heavy weight and resented it and then wondered why we struggle with a faith that has no depth or legs to stand on. Don't pray it away. Step into it and believe that God will give you the strength to go forward and will actually activate a strength that maybe you didn't realize you had that will develop you in a, real, in a way you didn't think you could be developed, that will put you in a direction that you didn't think you would go, and then all of a sudden that journey's over and you're rewarded in the promise. Because that's how God works. Job's story is brutal, but boy, that promise is extraordinary. The second one, remember you have purpose even when the waiting is trying to get you to think otherwise you have purpose 
you have purpose. Even when the waiting says you don't have purpose, God's forgotten you. God doesn't see you. This is too hard. God doesn't want this for you. Oh, marriage is tough. Maybe time to move on. Oh, the kids are bad. Maybe it's time to just get, just check out of parenting. Maybe the job is just, oh, you know, I just do the same thing over and over. So I'm not going to use it for my witness. I'm not really going to apply myself in a way that people look at and go, wow, he's doing that different than anything I've ever seen. I wonder what motivates him. I mean, there are so many layers within the passage of this this right here where we look and say, do we live with purpose when the weight wants to buckle your knees? Do you live with purpose? Because I can promise you this, purpose is a lot smaller to, and can get people's attention than we, what we realize. I have a guilty conscience right now because here's the deal, and this is kind of a joke, but I have a weakness for Little Caesars pretzel crust pizzas. Some of us are like, that sounds disgusting. You better go try one and come talk to me. I need the altar prayer team with three sheets. Put her on the ground. Right Here's the deal. I got a weakness for pretzels, pizzas. Why? I don't know. I just do. The other night I went there and I got a pretzel pizza. And I'm checking out and the dude looks at me. And I said, oh, I left out. Don't judge me. I left out my code red and Sierra Mist. Y'all are like, dang, I thought you worked out and were in shape and stuff. I'm not. It, it ain't golf season yet. That's <laughs> when I hit my peak. Um, but here's the deal. The guy looked at me and he said, he said, oh, I'll take care of it for you. I said, what? He said, I, I got you. I said, dude, I can pay for it. No, you're good, dude. Have a good night. And I walked out, and it was a profound moment for me. I felt like the Lord said, Micah, we over-rationalize and over-complicate what can get people's attention. If two 20-ounce soda pops can get your attention to realize, wow, I can do something that points people to you, then guess what? I would venture to say we all have opportunities. We all have opportunities. We think obedience and faithfulness is this massive thing. No, it's just small steps in the right direction, down the right road, following the right person. And that's Jesus. You have purpose even when the waiting is trying to get you to think you don't. You can find purpose anywhere, but that's your choice to open your eyes and see it. The third one, gifts are free, but maturity is expensive. Man, I can't tell you how many people that have natural gifting and ability, natural gifting and ability, but what happens is, is we think natural gifting and ability gets us out of the maturity process. Pause. God isn't into exterior maturity. He's into interior spiritual maturity, and that looks a lot different than gift development. See, a lot of us, we, we, we're all about the gift development and we're all about the self-help. No, the, the, the self-help is I can't help myself, only God can. And here's the biggest thing I find today is that what we don't realize is we're looking and saying, my gifts and talents exclude me from this journey. My gifts and talents preclude me from needing to do these things. And God's saying, I'm not talking about your gifts and talents. I'm talking about your spiritual maturity. 
I'm not talking about what you're created to do. I'm talking about what I've called you to do and what I've called everybody to do through my scripture. Some of us, we're, our waiting seasons right now, the weight we're sitting under is just God get, trying to get us to see that it's not about our gifts and talents. He needs us to mature. We live in a day and time where we, there has never been more access to scripture ever. And I would venture to say is the most biblically illiterate I've ever seen. Why? Because when we've got gifts and talents, we don't need what God offers. No, when we've got gifts and talents, the only way they develop is through what God offers. Church today, don't bypass the weight that you're sitting under because you think your gifts and talents have excluded you from it. No, actually, if you have gifts and talents, it's mandated even more to go through it to show the world that we don't serve gift. We don't serve talent. We serve the King of Kings. And the last one is this. Sometimes you need time to know the time. Sometimes you need time to know the time. When we're busy, we tend to look a lot less. When we've got a ton of things going on, we tend to not really pay attention to them. But when you got the weight on your back and you can't move, you start looking in different directions than you normally do. When you've got the weight on your back and you don't think you can lift it, that's when the weakness is made perfect in his strength. And for some of us, all we've ever wanted to do is get out of things and not realize that God wants us in things, to learn things, to become things we never thought we could be. But it takes time to know that. And I'm gonna say this for me, if I, the first, my first year or two in ministry, if I'd have given God everything the Lord prayed for me, I wouldn't be on this stage right now. If I just got my bucket list of faith, boom. But if you ask me the prayers I prayed, those first two and the prayers I pray now, they're completely different. Why? Because when you have time and you know the time, it changes how you perceive who you're supposed to be. See, the weight doesn't just strengthen, it refines. And for some of us, we don't think we need patience, but we don't realize it's actually perfecting and making complete. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. 